When opening the Bible to Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, one imagines Paul acting as if he's touching a microphone and rhetorically asking, is this thing on? I mean, you know the guy has to be frustrated. How many times does he have to remind people of this? How many churches now has he had to say this to over and over again? So yes, we can imagine him asking rhetorically, is this thing on? Can you people just not hear me? Scholars estimate that Paul has been at this church planting business for about a decade by now. That is, by the time he's writing 1 Corinthians. And from his earliest days, he's been having to write letters to his churches with this same reproof. Cut it out, he tells the Galatians nearly eight years earlier with all of this, quote, quarreling and dissensions and faction forming. And in other epistles, he, of course, sounds this same refrain. And so now, in the very opening of this letter, here he is, once more having to remind one of his churches this same thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, it will take him some 15 chapters in this letter to finally underline what that main thing is. So caught up is he in putting his finger on all the various secondary items over which the Corinthians have been quarreling and forming factions. But finally, 15 chapters later, he puts it baldly. If Christ has not been raised he finally says, then all else you're arguing about is futile. And so once more, there it is. The bedrock gospel proclamation. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Yet, Paul opens this letter by saying, you have somehow managed to reduce the gospel, Corinthians, to being about who you heard it from. You quibble about whose style, whose manner of speaking, whose approach to delivering it, whose perspective on it, whose interpretation of it you prefer the most. Some of you, he says, say, I belong to Paul, while some of you say, I belong to Apollos, while others of you say, I belong to Cephas, meaning, of course, Peter. And here we can imagine Paul pausing to gather himself as he thinks about all the other items over which this particular church is quarreling, items that he will address in coming chapters. And thus, we can imagine Paul already exhausted, patting his imaginary microphone and saying, My heavens, is this thing even on? Two thousand years later, I can empathize with the Apostle Paul. 
Having been doing this pastoral work for over a decade now myself, I too have often marveled at the way we can so easily reduce the gospel to being about our own pet preoccupations, myself included. How we defang the scandal of the proclamation, that is, the shocking and absurd claim that this Galilean peasant was crucified by Rome and three days later resurrected from the dead. I, like Paul, often marvel at how we kind of take that as a matter of course, like, oh, no big deal here. We just have this little resurrection from the dead part of our faith over here. While simultaneously elevating things to a position of primary importance that are in comparison so trivial. Things like, say, one's belief on when and how God created the universe. Or one's theory on how God was at work in inspiring the scriptures. Or one's position on charged cultural issues or one's political affiliations and the way one votes. As if any of that is somehow more important, is somehow more central to Christian identity, more binding for Christian community than the shared absurd belief that this man Jesus was alive and then was dead And then three days later was alive again. And not just alive, but alive in an altogether different kind of way. In an enhanced, eternal way. In a way impossible for the eyewitnesses to describe, but in a way that portends how we too in Him and through Him and because of Him will be raised one day ourselves. If we don't keep this the main thing, Paul enjoins us. If we don't take care that all else flows out of the stunning implications of this belief. Then all else, he says, at least all else in the name of Christ. Is futile. That's why he grows so exasperated with the quarreling and the dissension and the faction forming within his churches. Overlooking the astounding bedrock thing that binds them together, these churches continued over and over and over again to rally around and to bicker about items that were of secondary at best concern. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul living today? Can you imagine him traveling from city to city, staying up late into the night, writing emails to the various churches he's come from? Can you imagine all of the petty items that he would stay up late into the night writing to us about? These things that we 21st century Christians love so much to bicker about. His head would be spinning in the middle of this pandemic. This world of cable news and social media and information and misinformation overload. 
He wouldn't even know where to start. Only, yes, he would. Yes, he would. The point of this simple sermon is to remind us that he would know precisely where to start. Because for Christian faith, it is the only place to start. And as such, it is the thing that most matters and the thing that, when remembered, binds us together as Christians and when forgotten or taken for granted, causes us to splinter and to begin to form factions. It is the thing that Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians by saying, and it is the thing that I beseech us to hear afresh this day 2,000 years later. That Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve and then to more than 500, and then to James, and then to the apostles, and then, as if to one untimely born, he appeared to Paul himself. In the end, we either believe this or we don't. And if we don't, then sure, all of these other things over which we divide ourselves and bicker about and quarrel about can continue apace. And we can continue to elevate them to positions of central importance. But if we do believe this, my heavens, how much more important is it to come together to reconfess over and over and over again that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father? And that because he has an all new reality has been created. One that we strive to live in accordance with now and one into which one day we too shall be raised to live forevermore. This is a foolish thing to believe, Paul reminds the Corinthians. Meaning utterly absurd. Patently ridiculous. Yet, he goes on, it is the very power of the gospel. Not wise words. Not compelling arguments. Not systematic theologies or comprehensive ethical frameworks. Not whose side on some particular question or issue one happens to fall. Just this. That Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says to his disciples. A Galilean peasant, a nobody from nowhere. A man summarily executed by the Roman government. A man whose name we ought never 2,000 years later to have even heard. Yet we have.
And here's why we have. Because as Paul writes, the telling of this simple story somehow enlivens. The recitation of this simple sentence somehow vivifies. And it does so because as foolish as it sounds, it evokes the very power of God. Because it is the very power of God. So let me then conclude this simple sermon by proclaiming it one more time. No fancy words. No compelling arguments. No appeals to any factions or groups or constituencies or demographics. Just the simple and shocking and scandalous proclamation. Let me check, make sure this thing's on. Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And one day through him and because of him, God's kingdom shall come and God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. And come that day we in him will rise from the dead like him. And there amid his kingdom we shall dwell forevermore. This may sound foolish. This may sound absurd. But this is what we believe as Christians. It is the hope on which everything else is built and it is the thing that binds us together as a people. It is the very wisdom and power and strength of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And as we prepare now to sing our hymn of response, I will be down front to receive any who might.